Hey, Digital Wildcatters, welcome to another exciting episode of BDE, Big Digital Energy, here with my solo partner in crime, Kirk Coburn. Wow, I have a lot, you know, huge shoulders to uh, climb aboard and um, I got replicate. a visual, we don't need to go there. <laughs> I know you've been in Nantucket all summer, but you can just look at there. So how was it up there? It's great. Uh, it was hot. It was 80 degrees. It got up to 80 degrees, and people were like, I'm dying. But I spent this weekend in Houston, and it is hot. I mean, it's so different. So glad to be back. Glad to be indoors. Yeah. It's good to be here. So I did, uh, took the kids to Rome. We were there five days. I saw days. that. Oh, it was amazing. It was great. It was cool being a tourist and all they don't have the air conditioning infrastructure there no. it was just miserable because you go to a restaurant and they'd say inside or outside you go oh, inside you get in there it's, it's, it's hotter hot yeah it's probably hotter because there's no airflow right yeah and they're sitting there telling you no we got it blasting but, <laughs> <laughs> it's just air there's blowing air there's no they're air just, conditioning they're just blowing air that being said friday night saturday night back-to-back thomas rett concerts this weekend really he's epic so you went he's, Back to back? Back to back. So Friday he was in town. I took daughter Sarah because she's the one kid that hadn't met him yet. See, I just okay. dropped in that name, uh, you, name drop right there. What a baller. Yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, took him to the show or took Sarah to the show. Sure. She got to meet him. He is such a girl dad. Really? You know, he's got four girls. Immediately walks up. I'm Thomas Rhett, Sarah Yates immediately hugging her how are you doing sweetie you know just total girl dad. what a performer i Be- love it best guy on the planet and then uh me and the girlfriend drove to austin and saw him saturday night in austin which was a lot of fun and which show was better he brought it both nights okay he brought it uh he brought it both nights so, where did he play in austin what was the venue uh moody center okay where the texas basketball team plays that's on pretty campus good. yeah that's pretty good. Was, it was uh it was really cool the uh so the interesting thing is thomas rutt's day-to-day manager is a british guy named harry great dude all this so he's kind of the babysitter right you know you go backstage harry's kind of in charge of you uh and so harry and the girlfriend of course both being british are talking shop all night did they speak in an accent that you couldn't pick up an accent they said you know words that don't make sense yes that i had no idea plus they were talking about places i didn't even know existed on the planet <laughs> so they do that and then tr shows up and anyway we go watch a little do you call him tr uh not to his face okay but, just I, checking. but i but i think i think that's what everybody calls call him, TR. tr got it and then we went and watched some cole swindell together side stage all this and so anyway i have harry and thomas rett there because the girlfriend ran off to the bathroom or something. And I go, all right, what do you guys think? And Tom Strutt's like, oh, she's so cool. This is great, blah, blah, blah. And Harry's like, I'm more afraid for her. <laughs> I, like, I would, uh, we all are. Yes. I think we've tried to talk to you about that. Yes, but I know. Fair I enough. actually talked to her about it, but hey, fair, fair enough. enough. It's right? all good. It's all good. The, uh, it's not informed. Mm-hmm. Or, or she is informed, I guess. Actually, she spent enough time to know by now. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. All right, so what happened in the last week? Number one, oil, we, we hit 83. I think it's at 82 right now. I think I will play Mark. Or do you want to play Mark? And you play Mark because okay. clearly you, I can't do that. Oh, dude, I can get grumpy. By the way, I mean, where is Mark? We need to... I don't know. 
I don't either. I, <laughs> do we need to set a reminder on his phone? I think beep, beep. I think he's getting older, maybe early set Alzheimer's coming in. We don't know, but he. I think he forgot today. I think he forgot. There we we miss you, Mark. We do miss you. I will try to be grumpy and analytical. <laughs> so, oil hit 83. We saw the easing of recession fears. That's happened. Big freaking draw. Although Mark wouldn't have said freaking. He would never say freaking. It's not as yeah, that's true. His repertoire. 15 million barrels last week. Mm-hmm. And it really looks like the Saudis and the Russians taking their barrels off the market are starting to show up in inventory. So it's starting to get real. So we saw $83 oil. What say you, Kirk? I mean, what did we say last week? Did we predict a week ahead oil prices or was that for September? I forget what remember? we were saying. I was I was saying we were going to be sluggish until the winter. And if we had a, a cold snap, that's when we'd see the pop. I think these are just little dips. I mean, I'm glad to see 83. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that doesn't surprise me, but there's nothing. I mean, it's more of the same as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's kind of bouncing around. I, I mm-hmm. think with what people never understand is you don't budget based on a 10-day run in oil price. Ever. You know? I mean, you've got to have... You've got to have a three-year view. At, at a minimum. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the shale revolution, you at least get your money back if you drill a good enough well, kind of a year and a half or so-ish. But you got to have a good view. But if the far. future, as, as someone was laughing with me yesterday, if the future of oil and gas is going to move to deep water, all these shale guys are like, man, we only, all of the engineers were telling me like, we only know shale. What happens if we get repurposed to deep water? Which these projects are a minimum twenty five years, maybe more. They're not. They're they're not looking at ten day oil prices. They're looking at long term oil prices. Yeah, I did do one thing. So I was on the uh, Richardson Bar uh, website and I was pulling it up, looking at where oil price was this morning, and it was flirting around eighty two. But mm-hmm. this was kind of an interesting stat I'll throw at you and get your take on it. And you can tell me whether this is intuitive to you or maybe it's it's kind of surprising. When you look at the stock price return over the last year, mm-hmm. and then we're going to look over the last month. So with the majors, over the last year, they're up a little over 17%. Over the last month, they're up about 4%. Large caps are up over the last year just above 13%. But over the last month, they've been up just over 12%. And then it's even more magnified when you look at the small caps. Over the last year, they've been up about 7%. Right. But over the last month, they've been up just over 12%. So I mean, it almost seems that the smaller the company is tracking real oil prices. I mean, the big guys... You know they're involved in so many other things besides just oil. Yeah. But but even the large caps, the small caps, they just do one thing, and so almost oil prices are being shown through the small and large caps versus the majors. It seems that way. Yeah. No, and it it still just baffles me, and I've said this my whole career. Why are they trading on the basis of current month oil prices as opposed to maybe a three or five year strip? But Wait a minute, Chuck. I was taught in business school that these are based on expectations. But but when I always ask the question, well, who are you talking about? And they're like, well, the market. Well, who's the market? Yeah. I've never been able to figure out who that person is, and I'm trying to find the market. And if you find that person, let me know. And what Josh Young, who's over at Bison, will say, because he kind of said this when he came on the podcast about three or four weeks ago, 
the market for smaller oil and gas companies, incredibly unsophisticated, not very institutional, retail mm-hmm. in nature, and thus his outperformance is he just studies it more than the average investor. And there's probably some truth to that. I've always been an efficient market guy and mm-hmm. the price is right and all, but you know, if you have somebody really smart focused on something that can't be held by a lot of institutions because of ESG reasons and all that, okay. I was starting to buy that while we were talking. You know, I was with a um, an executive of a small cap over the weekend, and he said a few interesting comments. One, he says, the job here is pretty cush. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're publicly traded but and you're small, the job is cushy. Okay. And we're going to get to that later because it's interesting what's happening with uh, recruitment. So um, they're paying more and more to keep whoever is in, in the job now, they're being paid more and more to keep good talent. But secondly, he said, as a small cap, he's like, you've always got to be looking over your shoulder because we could get sold tomorrow and be out of a job. So I was like, interesting. You're getting paid well, job's cushy, but you could be out of a job tomorrow. The uh, Everybody says oil and gas CEOs are so stupid. I have always said they are the most sophisticated energy investors on the planet. They take cash every year in salary and bonus. Absolutely. They only take options for equity exposure. None of them are cutting checks to buy no. in the company. And they always reprice their options at the downside. You know, you have to. Exactly. They're you the have best to. investors on the planet. That's the way you And I was reading about how like all these corporate uh, corporations are like trying to downsize or cut their jet programs. If you're in oil and gas, you have to keep the jet because you sell the jet fuel, right? <laughs> so you can't cut your own jet program. Well, we've got it's more economic to get to the Absolutely. field in the middle of the Bach, and we've got to fly in. Our and product. for safety reasons, you should, you know, the CEOs have to fly. Um, even when they're flying for family reasons, they have to fly on the jet. I love that. One of the single greatest jet stories in EMP world is Natural Gas Partners does the Mesa deal where they recapitalize and they kick Boone Pickens out and all. And so this deal all gets done and Boone goes away. And about, I don't know, three or six months later, Boone pops up and says, you guys owe me $5 million for some reason. And pissed Ken Hershaw. Ken is just like, <laughs> screw Boone. What the hell? That's that BS. That's not the way you read it. So the way Ken Hirsch uh, countered it was, Hey, Boone, you had said these jets were so important to Mesa, and you had said they were worth $10 million. We'll just give you the jets and oh my. fulfill that $5 million <laughs> thing we owe you. How's that? Boone's like, no, I'll take the cash. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Anyway, that's great. All right. Story two. Just to prove that the world has been listening to BDE, and for a while there we were doing a really good job of breaking down the different countries in Europe, the backdrop story yeah. there. I know everybody's heard this, but we'll say it again real quick. The girlfriend's European. She has chided us somewhat for treating Europe as a uniblock. And so for about 10 to 12 weeks there, we took a different country. We broke mm-hmm. it down, their energy profiles. Right. And I think one thing that stood out to us that we didn't appreciate, or at least for me, is France and their nuclear power was, in effect, a battery for Europe. Absolutely. They were exporting power even across the ship channel to uh, to England, all over the place. Well, this summer, and we missed this story. I just saw it this weekend. But this summer, France passed a pro-nuclear bill. 
It speeds up construction of more nukes, which had previously been off the table. It got rid of the 50% cap on nuclear power that was their target. Right. Remember we reported on that? They were... They're currently at 75, 80% nuke power of their power usage. They were trying to get to 50 off the table now. And it strengthened the penalty for those illegally entering a nuke plant. So you go to jail now for two years if you're one of those idiot protesters that jumps the fence. I mean, it's interesting. I, you know, I, France has never been known as like a leader in terms of energy policy for the rest of period let's be real (laughs) (laughs) however i think this is going to set a trend because what we're seeing is economics are starting to play back into common sense into the market so we're seeing europe we're seeing france say hey we're gonna remove that 50 percent cap we're going to speed up nuke development which is interesting um and maybe the rest of europe will take note because if, if france if the price, if that actually drops the price of energy for the French citizens, what are the rest of the nations around them going to do? Well, it, it's twofold. It's one, it's economics, but it's also dispatchable power. You know, it's reliability. Base Absolutely. It's base and there's got to at least be a portion of a recognition in there that, hey, guys, we can't run a manufacturing business if the wind doesn't blow. Absolutely. You know? I think it's great. So, and this is really interesting to watch. Yeah, no, I think so too. And what we ought to do is figure out Germany's reaction to it because they're the ones that that's who matters the, opposite, the most, right? Yeah, gone the opposite way. And wouldn't it just be irony of all irony if somehow France doing this and exporting baseload power to Germany allows them not to lose all their manufacturing, like we talked about last week? How you know, right. This is this is going to fall out, and then the Germans get all high and mighty about their renewables. I mean, you, you know, I, I've I've spent some time looking at the hydrogen business as I've got a startup in that space. What I'm finding interesting is Germany is sort of the like if you want to sell high, clean hydrogen, Germany's the market that will buy it because energy prices are high. It would be interesting to see if if Germany does a few things. One is maybe invest in technology to. Um, make coal clean because they have so much lignite. I know it's real dirty coal, but they have an abundance of lignite coal. Why don't they leverage it's and that's cheap baseload power, by the way. I'm the curious cheapest. Yeah. the cheapest. Yeah. I mean, why doesn't Germany go reinvest there? Secondly, the way to do that is to say, well, our our partners in China are doing it because <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. There we go. So uh, that'll uh, that'll bear watch. That that will bear watching. Uh, over it comes. All right. I love this next article, and I don't even know what we're going to say about it. But I'll just start talking no about idea. it. Colin sent around an article called "We're Changing the Clouds," and basically the backdrop of the article is the UN International Maritime Organization in 2020 past rules in effect getting rid of sulfur and yeah in ships so ship sulfur pollution worldwide is down like 80 percent so right air quality is up but what's been wild about it is it's lessened the effect of the sulfate particles that come with that pollution that seed and brighten up these low-level reflective clouds that the ships so basically trailing a ship they create clouds and that was actually very reflective 
and had a cooling effect. And what, they're, what the, the research they're doing now says that cooling effect may even have been 2x what we thought it was. Really? And it's warming the planet, and the Atlantic Ocean is now warmer than supposedly it's ever been or been in a long time. And they're attributing it to the fact you don't have these clouds anymore that, in effect, provided cover for the for the Atlantic Ocean, which is just crazy. I mean, that's interesting. Who who would have thunk that that's the uh, that's the result of reducing sulfur content in in ship fuel? However, interesting enough, I always sort of look at these um, different monikers. One is remembering like you know friends that live in Florida. They, especially the orange uh, farmers, like the freeze line is increasingly moving up further north. And it's interesting to see, like, you know, a friend of mine lives in Vero Beach, and like Vero Beach used to be, um, you know, part of the uh, climate where you can grow oranges all year round, but but now in Vero Beach. It was the demilitarized zone. Yeah, there's free freezing goes on. And so you lose your orange crops. You have to go further and further south to grow oranges. Um, similar with, you know, my time in Nantucket, I always figure out, because I surf with a wetsuit in June because it's too cold, the water yeah. temperature. This summer, I was in the water without a wetsuit in June. So the water does seem to be getting warmer and warmer. Now, I don't know what that means. I didn't realize it was because of the ships that are passing through the night are no not one. providing cloud cover, but that is an interesting piece. Um, something we should look at. Well, and it, the thing, the <clears throat> thing I hope we take away from it is second and third order effects Facts. on all of this. We just need to be really careful about, we need to be thoughtful about because, you know, Colin says this more eloquently than I do, but he goes, I always love our, our bravado to think we can actually control the climate <laughs> well you know? it's kind of you know now that i'm back in houston and it's 100 degrees what the hell is going on but a friend recommended that i drink alkaline water that's alkaline high alkalinity and so i've been looking it up and it's like there's no real research but here's the what we think are the benefits it's similar with playing you know we've got 148 million variables here for the environment who knows what one variable, which is sulfur and, and marine fuel, really has an impact. Maybe it's right. Um, but it's really hard to understand how it's going to have an impact until you do it. Yeah. No, and that, this article actually pointed out, this is a great experiment because you had a definite change in behavior that was dramatic. Yeah. You can measure the results of, of what happened. And actually what it, it gives kind of hope to and rise to and hopefully further research to is we might be able to just reflect heat away. That's if interesting. We're, if we're worried about global warming, you know, there's the guy out there that said he's come up with the, the white paint that if you paint everything white, he can bounce 2% of the uh, solar flares or whatever heat back. So, but we don't know until we paint everything white. That's the problem. <laughs> exactly. I don't want this. I like poos. I like to mob. That's what right. Happened? What happened to white? All right, let's get to your, you teased it. Very, very, very media of you, how you teased it. In I the, teased in the that. First block. I did tease that story. There's, it's real interesting that um, we're seeing the petroleum engineering. It, they, it, it's cyclical, but we're seeing a massive drop 
in petroleum engineering programs, the, the enrollment in petroleum engineering programs at universities dropped by over 50%. So you have a um, you have actually a chart here, uh, Chuck, that we're going to try to put yeah, in. Yeah, hopefully we'll get it popped up. I'm but pull undergraduate petroleum going. engineering enrollments in select U.S. universities. So UT Austin, best school in the world. I went there, of course. Um, change since peak, 42% down. A&M, down 63%. Isn't that a shocker? Texas Tech, 88%. We're, We're number one. I know. Yeah. <laughs> the School of Mines, 87.7%. LSU, 89%. Oklahoma State, 90%. What the hell's going on, Chuck? So I have a theory on this. Um, you know, we always recognize that employment like anything else in this world is a relative thing not an absolute thing meaning i'm making a comparison of do i want to do technology do i want to do right. medicine you know do i want to do oil and gas and here's what i think's always been the problem with oil and gas <laughs> is you have an incredibly volatile industry so your downside is that you can get fired and lose your job yeah poster boy for that right here here you go you know you're not the only one chuck i know you got fired too <laughs> <laughs> so that's your downside and i think people could actually live with that it's just we are so slow to promote as an industry you have to be at exxon 27 years before you're an assistant to an assistant vice president right that you don't have the upside and i think technology has had certainly not the volatility we have they've they've been on a good run but they do have volatility you do get fired startups don't work sometimes and all but the flip side is you can be 24 years old and run marketing at amazon absolutely or you know you can be running a division of facebook at age 28 so there's more upside now i will say this you can't put someone with 18 months experience in charge of the j field for exxon because of the H2S everywhere. Can I debate that? I was thinking about this because I used to be on your side on this issue because I used to work in a tech company. My first job out of college, I worked for a tech company, fastest growing company in the history of the world at the time. I got promoted very quickly in my early to mid twenties and was there as you were saying. So I was yeah. early executive in 20 in my twenties. And when I came into energy, I thought, there's so much safety risk and issues here. You can't put someone young in that role. They need to be mentored and blah, blah, blah. However, having worked in a big energy company, they did not fire me, by the way. They have so many rules and safety procedures. It doesn't matter who you put in that next chair. They're not going to say, oh, ignore all the history and the learnings. So I'm like, can we really fail? I mean, do you think if we look at Macondo, was it really as 20 year olds that were doing that or were a bunch of right. senior executives, many of who I know, by the way, that have been let go or sent to pasture because of these safety incidents. And they're pretty old, if you will. Okay. So, so I'm wondering, is that really just a, an excuse for the same to, to be the same as always or not? That's interesting. Okay. They, uh, it's a cultural problem, not an age problem. Whoa. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, it's it's not that. I mean, even the dumb finance guy when he went out to the rig, 
you know, if the alarm goes off, run towards the wind. That's I mean, right. Yeah, I picked up on that. I mean, we we hear stories from Colin all the time. I, Colin has more <laughs> wisdom <laughs> because of being out in the oil patch than anyone I've ever met, and he's seen it all. Like, if you ask him, like, someone just lost their hand, he's like, I know what to do. Yeah. I mean, so I'm not necessarily worried about the age. I think it has to do with experience, and you can get experience relatively young. So you know what one of my favorite, it's not an exact analogy here or exactly appropriate, but just having to do with age is someone we know was running big data for a large company and basically hired a bunch of data scientists, including a 23-year-old. And the 23-year-old had never even put gasoline in their car. You know, much yeah. knew nothing about it walks in after three months and says, hey, if you won't put, if a pumper won't put their truck in reverse, they only drive forward, we will reduce operating costs by 43% and we'll reduce accidents by 77%. And everybody's like, oh, what are you talking about? No, just don't ever put it in reverse. So they actually re-engineered the pumper's paths to never put okay. the car in reverse. They would drive to the site and they'd drive forward out of the site and that's what they did. And it wasn't 43%, it was like 46% op expenses were down. And instead of 77% of accidents, it was like 81. But I mean, somebody that knew nothing about oil and gas with just data. Amazing. Looked at it and said, okay, well, it's clear that's the toggle. And so, right. you know, just, okay, I'll kind of buy this. So oil and gas companies quit being stingy, promote yeah, no smart doubt. people. But don't look at us, some of the older guys in the room and ignore us either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We have some. We have some maturity and wisdom to par pass on to other people. But, Damn it! But I will. I will say. I will say this. This ought to be issue number one for energy companies. I will say we've been talking about this great generational crew change for a while. I think it's cyclical. So this is bad. But what are they going to do? When I went to University of Texas, I remember the petroleum engineering and the chemical engineering departments like merge. Like there wasn't really a petroleum engineering program when I was in school there because oil was in the shits. Yeah. And the guys that were my peers that decided to do it anyway, which we're all laughing at them, a few of those guys are billionaires now. So is there something to be said about going against you know, the moving flow and jumping in when the time is really good opportunity. Maybe it's a great time, but what will I know will happen is eventually people will run to petroleum engineering because they're going to have to pay more and more and more money for this, for the, for this content, which is why, you know, um, software engineers are being paid a lot of money out of undergrad if they're good, because there's a, it's a, it's a skilled, resource that's in limited supply well i think it was steve jobs that used to say run towards scarcity so, you said it better than anybody damn chuck you're yeah, good jobs did i stole that <laughs> that's one of my favorite things i have in my bio i uh, i say that i was head of product design for apple and that steve jobs once said of chuck yates if chuck yates left i would be reduced to wearing a black turtleneck every day <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, the IPAA, the Petroleum Alliance of Oklahoma, whenever I go speak, they publish that bio. I love That's it. Great. All right. So, we've got two retirements here we're going to discuss. Yeah, interesting. Uh, let's go first with Zachary Kirkhorn, CFO of Tesla, 
made it four years. He is retiring, and the company did not give a reason. Any thoughts, sir? I think I, I have so much fun following Elon. It, it's just he is just fun. Yeah. I mean, he gets rid of a guy that's been the CFO of Tesla for four years during a really good stability period. But clearly, it sounds like he fucked up on the Cybertruck. Um, or someone did. Because it's right before the product launch of the Cybertruck. And it sounds like they've had massive turnovers over their 20-year history. And those turnovers usually are around uh, product launches. As we know, as, as a guy that's come out of a company that builds products, um, that doesn't surprise me, but it's interesting to know what Zach did to fuck it up. <laughs> did he miss a number? Is it like the cost of the Cybertruck instead of, you know, uh, 400,000 per truck, it's 4 million per truck. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what actually happened. It's like he was scared to wrestle the meta CFO in <laughs> that's the right. card. That or was... that's probably the real issue. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> looking at his picture, he didn't look too tough. Now, I'm not saying that I want to fight him because I'm we're, not tough we're either. Lovers, not fighters we're lovers, here. not fighters. But he doesn't look tough to me. Yeah, maybe. maybe Colin so. could take him. Oh, yeah, totally. The... Um, the thing I love about any time one of these stories comes out, because I don't have any unique insight here, but I just love reading the comments on, I guess we have to start saying X. And on X, Twitter. yeah. On X. My favorite was, it's almost like faking the range data of their snake oil mobiles <laughs> is, a bad, <laughs> is a bad thing for business. So anyway, he does walk away with supposedly 50, 50 million. million bucks. You can I mean, live a nice life on fifty million bucks. 50, so $12.5 million a year in in, in value is I not not a bad year. Not a bad year. I would love to have fifty million dollars because I would like to have my jet. I know we're trying to rebuild Chuck's jet I campaign. Jet. I need a jet. And the other retirement we have is Goldman Sachs's head of commodities, Jeff Curry. He, back in 2004, wrote the famous research repeat, uh, piece, The Revenge of the Old Economy. He basically argued that underinvestment in oil and gas is going to lead to an increase in, in oil prices. He was right there. He made numerous calls through the mm. years where he was right. He kind of gets credited with the commodity super cycle. Uh, that was really his baby out of there. So, you know, in 2015, mm. he said the shale revolution going to keep oil prices lower for longer. 2017 talked about Bitcoin is a commodity too. You needed it. It acts like gold in your. Mm. So a lot of the things he said. He was at Goldman for 27 years, and he is supposedly retiring, but he's only 56. I mean, Chuck. So only this is hedge 56. fund, right? He's leaving for a hedge fund. He's got to be right, dude. I, I mean, being in Nantucket, I hear people that have a like they all have jets except me. Of course, I'm like the guy that washes the jet windows to make a little extra cash. Um, and I came up with a great business development strategy here in a second. But these guys are all no longer working, and they're a lot younger than 56. So I know a lot of guys that are retired because they've made their money, and they don't want to work anymore. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> what say you, Chuck? <laughs> well bingo oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're looking at one yeah, there we're, is... looking at, we're looking at one now i just figured out i'm fundamentally the laziest person i've ever met so i excel at being unemployed you're good at really it well this is uh this is totally my jam now i think you see him pop up this 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 red you know retirement and all it reads as popping up 
at a uh, at a hedge fund at some point. No but, doubt. Uh, no doubt. You know, kudos to him. We got lectured this week. Yeah, we and did. I, and I, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay it on you. So our number one fan, Vlad, the Rose, the Richmond police officer, sat me down this morning at coffee. Said among other things, and he had a whole laundry list of things. He really missed the finger of the week because well, we he, haven't had a finger of the week. It sounds like he also made fun of my glasses, which he is did. like I respect right there. Yeah, it, it, for the audience, everybody. T- Go close in on uh, Kirk's glasses right now. <laughs> Vlad said, please tell me that Kirk didn't spend that much on those glasses. So, I got him out of Target, man. Come on, go. dude. All right, I like that. No, we will, uh, starting next week, we'll be back with uh, Finger of the Week, and we'll we'll record the little video clip and make sure we get it uh, put out. Yeah, thanks for the comment, Vlad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really, really appreciate it. He's just kind of mad, you know, because he was getting the Finger of the Week on a pretty regular basis. We so got to come up with some good that. ones then. That we will. Kirk, I'm glad you're back, dude. Great to see you. It's good. Uh, we'll miss Mark and Colin. Maybe yeah. we'll have the whole band back next week. Maybe uh, maybe we can get like a little assistant to bring Mark around. <laughs> yeah, we need someone to page him. Paging, paging Mark. For him. Exactly. <laughs> All righty, everybody. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe. Please send it to a friend of yours. We try to do the weekly summary of the energy business if you think Jim Cramer sucks. That's right. (laughs) Cheers, everyone. Peace.